Dan, what do they call it when you um, bury, bury the lead? I think you spell lead, L-E-D-E. Yeah, they call it burying the lead. They call it that. That's yeah. odd. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to do that on this market call. By the way, it is 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Again, the only time zone that truly matters. I'm Guy Dami, Dan Nathan. This is Market Call. Today's Market Call, of course, brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, our data provider is always FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. Uh, and the reason why I say, you know, you're not going to bury the lead here, it appears as though, and we're going to talk about it at length, the market is, in fact, the lead. But the true lead uh, took place last night at the Prudential Center, where the New York Rangers were summarily beaten by the Devils of New Jersey. Four-zip final game probably wasn't that close. The Rangers go home for the summer in a season where there are a lot of expectations. Now, I'll say this, Dan, and I'm going to turn it over to you. I have said uh, since the beginning of my time that typically in a seven-game series, the best team emerges victorious, and that happened last night. The only time, Dan, that it did not was the 1960 World Series. Maybe Doug Cass is watching. He'll recall that the Pirates of Pittsburgh beat the Yankees 4-3, but the games that the Yankees won, 16 10-0, 12-0, complete domination. The Pirates won one-run game, two-run games, yeah. of course, culminated with the great Bill Mazarowski hitting a home run to win it. That got him in the Hall of Fame because he was, at best, a pedestrian player. That's it for me. Back to you. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I once read a biography on uh, Mickey Mantle, and mm. I think he cried like a baby yes. for that game. I, yes. I, I, I recall that, um, but it really galvanized his will coming back in 61 because they Thank had a you. little – Yeah, Thank okay. You. All right. So without bearing the lead, we just talked New York sports for three minutes. Um, no, it was not. Th- it was not <laughs> it even was close to three minutes. minutes. Just so you guys know, I want to tell you this. You guys think Guy Adami is a financial news superstar, and, and he is that. Now he's a, a podcasting behemoth. Last night we were in a studio. We were in a, uh, the, the, the Brooklyn um, Hall of Music. Was Is that what it's called or something? Probably I 20- think it's called BAM, which would Bam. mean that H is not there. So I think it's Br- 2,300 people in this beautiful old uh so they're all there to support uh this this program at georgetown university uh their scholars program raising a bunch of money they had four count them four a-list comedians uh jim gaffigan john mulaney uh mike briglia briglia or biglia or biglia and nick kroll and they all killed they're all georgetown alum you know who else is a georgetown alum guy adami guy adami went out there and introduced John Mulaney, had to corral all those guys. It was absolutely amazing. And you actually had some zingers in the introduction and you had the crowd rolling a little bit. So if you guys can find that on the intertube, please do share it. It was really fun. Guy, you killed for a great cause. So uh, now we did bury the lead. All right, let's talk about this. What's going on? Look at this reversal in the S&P 500 today. And it's really interesting, Guy, because, you know, we know, what's anticipated. We know what's expected. We know the likelihood of what the Fed is going to do tomorrow. The CME Fed funds tracker is Mm -hmm. what? Got an 85% chance that they are going to raise 25 basis points, get the Fed funds rate above 5%. That's five to five and a quarter. It hasn't been there in a very long time. What the hell is going on with the S&P? Because it seemed like we were okay with it yesterday. You know, we were okay with, you know, First Republic being taken under by J.P. Morgan today. 
Just look at what's going on in two of the most economically sensitive areas of the market, guy, the banks. And it's not just the regionals getting absolutely creamed. It's the major money centers. And I got to tell you, in all my years in this business, when I see names like Bank America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, JP Morgan, you know, down between two and 5% on the day, you better pay attention to what's going on, especially when you look at Bank America down more than 15% on the year. And maybe these guys could pull that chart up. This thing has made no progress in the two, in the two weeks that we expected, you know, this regional banking thing contained. It wasn't going to find its way into the major money centers. There's something else going on here. And you've been talking about more regulation, tighter credit, and what that means for the economy. And a slowing economy is not good for ma major money center banks. No, clearly, listen, clearly not. I think even the most bullish out there would, would recognize that this environment is not particularly bullish for money center banks. What I find interesting, though, over the last couple, well, since Silicon Valley Bank, quite frankly, is how quick people are to dismiss what's going on. And, and you've pointed this out this didn't start with Silicon Valley Bank. In actuality, it started with Blackstone in the fall of last year. And but for the fact that they had Gates, you might have seen a bit of a run there. So it started there. Uh, obviously, well, just really clearly in their B REIT, which is their 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 REIT, okay, the Real Estate Investment Trust that is not publicly traded, right? But so they put gates up meaning like if you want your money out cuz you're worried that you think commercial real estate where they're exposed and guy that b read is exposed to warehouses mm -hmm. and 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 residential like you know rental properties two really strong spots but investors want their money out so they're basically saying i think they can only take out up to 2% on a monthly basis and 5% on a quarterly basis, and that is part of the docs when you buy the, into this thing, okay? So that's what it means to put the gates up, but this is six months in a row that they are basically been oversubscribed for money that wants to come out. Just a quick explainer. No, and, and that's exactly right. And 2% is, I mean, it's, else, it's absolutely insulting, but that's where we were. I bring that up because, you know, I do think, in fact, you know, you started to see hints of this many months ago, but my point, again, is, you know, people are completely dismissive of it. It's not a bad deal. It's contained. I mean, every time you hear things like that, you hearken back to a different time. And I'm not comparing this to the financial crisis, but the same words were used. It's contained, blah, blah, blah. Everything's fine. J.P. Morgan buys Bear Stearns. That's it. It's over. I mean, it was over for a period of time until it wasn't. And you, know, you look at Bank of America. I'm glad you brought it up. I think it's trading below 28 now. The recent low was 26.32. I think you can look at that chart and see. Uh, yeah, we did bounce and it bounced into earnings, but it's given the majority of it back. And you're talking about a stock that if it were to trade back to 26 and change is making a multi-year low. Bank America is not an insignificant bank, and I think it's worth pointing out. And I'm not picking on Bank of America to pick on them. The banks are vitally important to this economy. And again, to mention Doug Katz, he's been pointing it out a number of times in his tweets. He's been sending us messages as well. We have been concerned. We have tried to identify some trading levels around some long positions. U.S. Bank Corp was one of the names we talked about, but that's not to say that they're immune from all of this. That's to say maybe we've reached levels where you can have a tradable bottom, but the banks should absolutely scare you. And the regulation that's going to be around these banks should absolutely scare you. And why is it different today? And I'm sorry that I'm rambling on. For whatever reason today, the market decided to look, but I think there's also some rhetoric around this debt ceiling that more and more people are starting to bring up uh, on the front burner. There are people that saying, CN excuse me, the market's not paying enough attention, maybe through the lens of CNBC. 
And Steve Leisman brought that up today in a conversation that he had, I think, at the White House Correspondence Dinner, whatever that'll happen over the weekend. So, yeah, there are a lot of things seemingly on the front burner today. But you know this as well as I do. Tomorrow at this time or tomorrow, let's just say 26 hours from now, we could be having a much different conversation because the market might interpret Fed comments as extraordinarily dovish and everything's Mm -hmm. fine. And we could talk about a market that's completely reversed. With that said, regardless of what happens tomorrow, the fundamentals have not changed and the fundamentals are not good. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the Fed would probably not be that unhappy to see the S&P 500 unchanged in the year, right? If you're trying, if everything they're trying to do is kind of slow down some of the kind of, you know, the wage gains that we've had, the tight labor market that we've had, um, just some of the consumer spending data, which does appear to be slowing down. I mean, pretty soon, all that good news that was bad for the Fed's trajectory of rate hikes turns into bad news for the health of the economy. And I'll just point this out, is that we've seen time and time again that it seems like the high-end consumer has been fine. Well, look at American Express today, down 4%. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a reflection of what people think is going to come, let's say, with corporate travel, with high-end consumer. And this comes on a day where Morgan Stanley, okay, so Morgan Stanley probably employs people at 2 or 3x on the average of what Americans make in this country, okay? And so they're going to fire another 3,000. This is their second round of layoffs. And so I think when you think about what's going on with the economy, you do not have to be an economist to figure this stuff out. You can actually just make a bit of a mosaic using common sense about some of this stuff. And so, you know, one of the reasons we focused yesterday and we introduced a trade idea, a bearish trade idea on Schwab is I think Guy and I were both in the camp. This is not done. No matter what Jamie Dimon said to you, no matter what Gary Cohen thinks, no matter what the market is saying for any one day. And that's why we named that episode, you know, first half of 2008 vibes. I mean, that's what it felt like. That's what I feel like we are in right now. And the other point is, and we didn't have this at that point in 2008, but look at what's going on in the energy market. We spent a lot of time yeah. yesterday and guy has been bullish on it, but you sounded kind of cautious on crude and the demand dynamics for it. You've been talking about the supply demand dynamics for a better part of the last year and a half, which is one of the reasons it's led you to be bullish, but it filled in that gap from that OK, uh, that surprise OPEC um, announcement, right? And it looks like it's going to break that support where we were, you know, about a month and a half or so ago. And that has something that, that this is speaking volumes to me. You look at the oil services index down five and a quarter percent, the XLE, the large integrated. Why did we spend time on Exxon yesterday? That stock was 116 when we started looking at it. It is 110 right now. Mm-hmm. It ticked on Friday after their Q1 earnings at a new all-time high. Look at the reversal of that. That might be the mother of all double tops, okay, for one of the biggest stocks in the market and one of the most economically sensitive. So to me, you guys can say we're sticking with this dogma, this bearish dogma, but I'm telling you, it really feels like a lot of investors, a lot of pundits, a lot of strategists are kind of whistling past the graveyard. And I don't mean second half of 08 graveyard. I mean, we still have a stock market that is not reflective of the what I think is going to happen to the economy. And it's all there right in front of you on your fact set screens, people. Just look at what's happened to the dollar. Look at what's happened to yields, despite what's going to happen to Fed funds. 
look at what's happening in some of the most economically sensitive parts of our market. And then the flip side, and I'll end right here, and look at the crap, the, the literally the most, and we talked about NVIDIA yesterday, the most speculative things. And yes, there is a great story there, but not at 23 times sales and not at 66 times earnings in this market. Yeah, I agree with that. And listen, I think you summed it up nicely. And in terms of Schwab, you know, you outlined a trade yesterday and, you know, today now, again, 24 hours later, stock's down four and a half percent. And, you know, we had a really interesting conversation. I think it was an interesting conversation about how that trade was structured and maybe you could have legged into it. Um, but it doesn't necessarily, listen, that neither here nor there, that's obviously different strokes for different folks. But as it turns out, your timing is good. And now in terms of, you know, stop losses and those types of things, now that you're trading from strength, at least for today, you can start to tweak around the edges in terms of, you know, where you might be wrong, where you might get out if you're wrong and those types of things. So sometimes, you know, timing is difficult in this market and you rarely sort of nail something to the day. I think you did it pretty much yesterday in both Schwab and ExxonMobil. And here you have both of those rolling over. But, you know, again, not to sort of drill down on the banks too much. It's interesting to hear people talk. And again, you can watch the network um, as well. But the vital importance of banks when we're in a bull market and then they're completely dismissive of the importance of banks when things are starting to roll over. Banks, again, they're the lifeblood of this economy, whether you like it or not. And the fact that the, the, the deposits are going to find themselves into these larger money center banks, yeah, that's great for them on the margins, but it's not particularly good, I don't think, for the economy. And then subsequently, the market. And to your point about 0809, the difference, of course, being the Fed had bullets back then. They don't have the bullets now. They're trying to combat something now that was non-existent uh, 14 or so years ago. And that's a bit of a problem. And I got to tell you something. If you look at some of the inflation numbers embedded in, in some of the um, numbers that have come out over the last week and a half, inflation still, I mean, yes, it's come down from 9.1% this time last year, effectively June of last year. But we're nowhere near where we should be. And quite frankly, you know, things might be starting to tick the wrong way for them. So there's just a lot going on. And, you know, the fact that, in my opinion, we have not felt the, the effects of 500 effectively basis points of hikes this time tomorrow. Don't underestimate that, Dan. I don't think this we do, but I don't think tomorrow, the market should either. A great song about the Kinks. Um, Love the maybe, Kinks. The Davies, yeah. Ray and Dave Davies, who couldn't stand each other. This Here's one for you. Tomorrow. I'm not a big, I'm not a big Kinks fan. Um yeah. I have one kink song on my 800 and now 45 song playlist. It's Live Celluloid Heroes, which in the studio, not, not a particularly good song. Live Celluloid Heroes, though, is, was well done. Back to you. Sorry. All right. So I think that the, the episode title is going to be this time tomorrow. Um, okay. And, and well, there you go, man. Write that down. Let's just pull up a couple of charts really quickly. We have a JP Morgan chart. I think it was interesting that on Friday, okay, in anticipation of, of possibly, you know, buying uh, this First Republic, JP Morgan had a matched high of those levels where it was trading, which were then 52-week highs earlier in the year, February and March. And, you know, I would thoroughly expect this stock to fill in that gap after its earnings from April 14th and possibly make it back towards that 200-day moving average. I also want to bring up Blackstone here, Guy. Again, you know, this one is interesting to me, just the nature of this downtrend that's been in place since the start of 2022 just a series of lower highs here and so we briefly kind of breached some support it would look like a little bit of a double bottom you know got below 80 here it really feels like it's going back there and if you back this one out going back to kind of mm -hmm. 2018 or so you see that kind of 
pre-pandemic high that was about 66 bucks or so, if it cannot hold the December lows, I mean, it's going back there. And so to me, you know, like this is where the charts are really, really useful because, you know, if you are looking to trade things off of valuation levels, technical levels, you know, just kind of looking for opportunities to take profits, I mean, this is how it kind of helps or looking for opportunities to kind of cut your losses. And I would say that kind of $72 level is, is kind of an important level because it could be an air pocket down to the mid 60s if it were to break. Thoughts on, the, on those? No, I think that's it. Listen, this chart is exactly, if Carter were here, he would giving you a vociferous round of applause. I mean, this is exactly right. And it's again, it's not at all coincidental uh, when things topped out here. You know, go back and look when this made top tick in Blackstone, it was right around the time the Fed starting raising rates. Not that that impacted them necessarily, but it set in motion all the things that we're seeing now, not least of which is that commercial real estate market that they were such a vital part of in terms of Blackstone. So don't dismiss the impact that the Fed has had on single businesses. And Ken Havens has a good comment here, if we could pull it up. I was talking to my dad, and I apologize, I'm looking at my right, but I'm going to read. I was talking about my dad, how we could handle 13% interest rates in the early 80s, but can't handle 5% rates now. He said it isn't the level of rates, it's a rate of change. That's exactly right. I mean, thank you so much for that, Ken, because you're right, your dad is right. It's the rate of change. It's not about the absolute level. The market will adjust to the level. It's the speed with which it gets there that's the problem. And if you don't believe me, the duration risk on these banks, they were caught for whatever reason, again, blindsided, by the rate of change. And that's why these banks, it's nothing nefarious. They weren't acting illegally in any stretch. Yeah. They would just run really poorly. Some might say shittily, that would be me, uh, along the way, because why they got lazy, they got complacent from 15 years of easy monetary policy. So it's all around. And again, it's not the absolute level. It's a rate of change, Dan. And here we are, at least for a day, trying to deal with exactly that. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's pull up the S&P really quickly. We did that day chart. You saw what happened here. Um, and uh, again, I think it's kind of interesting position positioning the day before um, the Fed meeting. You know, we talked a little bit about this um, pattern that in the S&P yesterday, we had my friend Jorge, um, his work mm -hmm. on GFI or GFR daily macro, which I thought was interesting because when I saw the email, it reminded me of a chart that Carter had been showing us, Carter Braxton worth of worth charting. And he sent out an email again, I thought was interesting today. Um, I think we did this a week or two ago. Um, and just look at the sequencing that he's talking about here. Look at these rallies. A lot of those rallies went into earnings season. And when we got out of earnings season, um, we saw those kind of drawdowns and those retests of the prior lows. In all of the instances, until we got to, okay, early this year, we did not make a new low, which I think a lot of technicians um, thought was fairly bullish here. And and, and really to us, it did start to look like a head and shoulders bottom a little bit guy. But what's interesting to me, and we also track John Butter's work over there at FactSet, who runs the Earnings Insight. That would um, be, by the way, for you folks, if you want to comment, that's hashtag Butters, but hashtag please. Hashtag Butters, yep. And I mean, like, listen, the main point that I would say about Butters' work is that he's been tracking how earnings estimates have come down over the course of a quarter and then what the beat rate is of those, right? So they're beating lowered estimates and we saw that again in q1 but sooner or later that sugar high it kind of wears off a little bit right when we get through the earnings and that's why late last week we were saying that 
you know, to me, that Amazon reversal in the post-market because of their AWS guidance is going to be the thing that we look back and remember about this earnings season. And let me tell you, Apple's going to report Thursday after the close. And if there are any issues with China and any weakness there, and, and you know, to me, I don't, I just would be hard pressed to think after Apple's 30 some percent rally off its January lows, if there's much more in the tank, it would have to be a significant beat and raise for that stock to rally from here. And then I do really think we start that sequencing back lower to get the S&P unchanged on the year at some point in the next month or two, and then possibly take a, uh, take a shot at that low from October. So to me, the NASDAQ is kind of a different ball of wax because of the concentration of those major names. And it is also up about 18, 19% from its October lows, but it would, it would take some of the biggest names to really get shellacked from here. And I just think the breadth that we've been talking about that has been weakening Doug mentioned it. You highlighted it yesterday on Market Call. Carter's been talking about the weak breath. I think that's the thing that's going to be reflected in the S&P 500. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did a podcast, as I mentioned. The name of the podcast was Carry That Weight, and seven names have effectively carried the entire, well, I mean, by and large, most of the yeah. move we've seen since the late fall, you know, December type of thing of last year. And, and so here we are now at a certain point. It's, listen, at a certain point, valuations matter. We we never say negative things about these companies. Microsoft, I've said it a hundred times. I think it's one of the three to five most important companies in the world. NVIDIA is clearly well, well ahead of the pack in terms of what they're doing, but at what price, right? It comes down to what you're willing to pay. Now, right now, for whatever reason, the market seems willing to pay up for these names. And maybe it's the form of a flight to quality, perceived quality. But even at a certain point, those things give way, and we've seen it before. So when you have the structural problems that we're seeing uh, in, in terms of the economy, in terms of specifically the banks, at some point, those cracks are going to lead to more fissures. And I think we're seeing that now. And don't underestimate, I mean, pension funds. Read that Gray Gip article in the Wall Street Journal last week. Mutual funds uh, have some issues as well. And I don't think it's over by any stretch of imagination. If you don't believe me, just look at the gold move today, and I'm sure at some point we'll have a chart in that, and you can see people are flocking to gold. Gold is hanging in there like a freaking champ, Dan. Well, let's pull it up. Let's pull up that gold chart, and I think it's interesting on a day today that you know the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index, and, and we outlined a, a bullish trade on that a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, it's kind of hanging in there, you know, at 102 or something like that. And so gold, to your point, guy, is making a nice little base here. Maybe it looks like a bit of a flag after that big ramp that we had, um, you know, in March. And that was during that kind of flight to quality period during the regional banking crisis, which, by the way, if you've been listening for the last 22 minutes, is not over, people. Um, so you're expecting a bit of a breakout here. We thought you could see a back and fill. I think you were in that camp, too. I think consolidation guy even with all of you know the kind of back and forth on the macro here, um, I'd say that is it does feel like a little bit of a back and fill. But the the consolidation is the thing that's kind of bullish, I guess. I agree with that, and you know if, if I don't know if we can extend this out, and I apologize, Jacob, if we can't. But if you look longer term, uh, you see where we topped out a couple of years ago, and then but you also see how quickly, and there's the chart. You see how quickly we made that sort of little gap island reversal and then filled the entire thing into the downside it seems to be i shouldn't i hate saying that term but it seems to be different this time as yes we've made this sort of gap up but we're hanging in there like a champ so what derails the gold story i'm not sure i will tell you what potentially could if you hear more more hawkish 
uh, rhetoric tomorrow, and I'm not suggesting you will. I'm just trying to give an, an ex- explanation as to why this can derail. Gold market will not like that. So if Jerome Powell hikes and, and suggests that, listen, not when it's not over yet. A lot of you people think we should pause here, but guess what, folks? It ain't happening. That type of language will knock gold down 25 to $30. But short of that, I think this gold trade is intact. Well, it's interesting, right? So we just talked about in the beginning of this, you know, like, you know, good news for the economy, you know, was kind of bad news for what the Fed had to do on the on the on the rate hiking, right? And so bad news for the economy at, at a point where we are right now is also not really great. I mean, if you think about it for what the Fed has to do, because you've made this point on many occasions over the last six months or so, especially as Fed fund futures started pricing in the potential for cuts towards the back half of this year. If the Fed were to get really dovish, I mean, it could just really incite um, you know, a rally in a lot of those sort of inflationary sort of readings in the in the commodities in which we kind of view it for. So they're in a really tough spot here. And so when I think about the sort of word salad that Jerome Powell is going to have to come up with tomorrow at 2.30 in his presser, trying to kind of navigate a lot of this, I mean, I think I think they probably guy have to kind of stay pat with that inflation. You know, I think historically they will go down as the guys who missed it, both ways if they mm-hmm. don't kind of finish the job here a little bit. So the idea of a dovish hike tomorrow, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think that's the thing that could surprise market participants a little bit. It doesn't have to be that we are going to keep continue to raise. It just has to be that we are going to remain vigilant until we finish the job here because the economy is still on a pretty decent footing, at least in the stuff that we're looking at. I'm reading the comments, and we have some very creative people. Um uh, up till now, Daniel, like this, the market's been on a bit of a carefree highway uh, as we continue to ratchet higher. I mentioned that because we lost the great Gordon Lightfoot. I believe it was last night or early this morning. Of course, Gordon Lightfoot, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald and the aforementioned carefree highway. One of the great singer songwriters of our time. So rest in peace, Gordon Lightfoot. But that's exactly right. You know, this carefree highway we've been on it's just a matter of time before we start feeling the effects. So, Gold market is really interesting. Obviously, the banks and, you know, your trade calls have been pressing. By the way, you know, the VIX getting on its little horse today as well, Dan Nathan. Yeah, so we put a VIX trade on um, a couple weeks ago. We're going to update that tomorrow before the Fed meeting. Um, we were looking at to June. It was a 2030 call spread. And so, you know, we were briefly above 20 um, the other day. I think we're going to get back there. And, and again, um, this is one where you don't have to wait for it to get to expiration or wait for it to get to the high end of the BAM to have a good trade. So this trade is kind of hanging in there too. So with the VIX around 18 and a half. All right, guy, let's talk about yields here. Let's look at the 10-year mm-hmm. futures of, of the yields here. And we look at this consolidation um, that it's been in here. It's barely been between like 114, I want to call it 15, and kind of 117 or so. It's holding its 200-day moving average. I think you and I can both be in the camp higher for longer with the Fed funds as the Fed wants to kind of maintain their vigilance with inflation. Um, But 10-year yields actually don't have to rally with it, right? And if you think about that, and so I'm in that camp here. I think this sets up as a pretty decent trade in the futures guy. And again, one of the reasons why, especially on Tuesdays when it is CME day, we like to kind of focus on the futures markets is because of the liquidity, because of the ability to risk manage the positions, right? And we can set our targets to the upside, but we can also put stops in place here. 
year. And so as I'm looking at this, I think that we are going to start to see weaker economic data in the face of the Fed keeping Fed funds higher, which I believe is going to mean weaker yields in the 10-year here, okay? And so if I think about that, I mean, I want to play for a move in the 10-year note, which is the opposite, right, of what which direction the yield is going. So if we want to flash back and forth, we'll look at this right here. I want to buy this at 115 and a half. I want to stop it at that April low of 114. One five, So that's a little over 1% to the downside. You can see why I want to stop it just below that 200-day moving average. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why we like to play stops a little bit below, above or below those sort of technical levels is that oftentimes a lot of traders or market makers, they'll look to take out stops that they think are at very obvious levels here. So I'm going to stop it down there at 114.15, and I'm looking to play for a move back to 120, guys. So when I think about this trade idea here in the 10-year uh, futures here, I'm like risking one to possibly make three or four. I like the risk-reward here, and I like the way it fits into my broader narrative about the macro, about the way the economy is slowing and how to express this. Because right now, it's been a hard way to do this in the equity market. You could look at Russell 2000 and down in the year, you could say, well, that's been one good way to see this simmering weakness that's kind of like a slow burn, I guess, if you will, in the economy. And that's how it's reflected in the stock market. I think the 10-year note rising and the yields going lower is another way to do it. You got a tight leash on this. I think it's a good chart. If you could, again, toggle back, that's a Carter Worth phrase, bingo for somebody out there. But if you go look at the last chart, you'll see, I mean, it's structured the right way. I mean, your stop loss level is exactly right. And again, if the I, I, I don't know what the market's going to do. We're very clear. We say it all the time. I mean, the market has a way of humbling us all. But if the market, broader market, does what I think it's going to do, in other words, sell off in a pretty meaningful way, I do think you'll see a flight to quality in the form of bonds, which means yields go lower and Dan trades work. So if you go to the parameters that he set forth, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You have a tight leash on this thing in terms of the stop loss level. It makes sense because you saw days like yesterday where the bond market got throttled seemingly out of nowhere. So you could have a day like yesterday and it could take you right out of it, but at least you have a tight stop. But if you're right, you know, three, four to one, that's typically the right ratio for these trades. You never want to do something risk one to make one sort of a 50-50 bet because there's no, you have no edge really. You're flipping a coin. But when you think things are stacked in your favor um, and you think it can be a three to one, four to one, that's the right time to put it on. So I do like this trade a lot. I think your levels are right. Yeah, and the other point is if it starts going in your direction, you continue to raise your stop, right? So you lock in whatever um, profits that you have. You kind of get that stop tighter. The last thing, guy, let's just look at the TLT. So this is the ETF, the iShares ETF that tracks the 20-year U.S. Treasury. And some some of our um, viewers, as you're learning up on the futures, I mean, this is also a, another way. I think this is a kind of an interesting chart. It looks obviously fairly similar. It's a longer duration um, treasury here yield, but you see that downtrend that's kind of been in place here um, from those highs in December. We just kind of did a horizontal line at that 110 level. We're kind of flirting with that 200-day moving average. If you back this thing out a little bit, guy, you see over a multi-year period here, I mean, going back to the start of 2021, you know, you're starting to make a series of higher lows mm -hmm. here. And so the tension's definitely building here. We know we have this kind of um, debt ceiling thing that's going to come to a head. Uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen came out yesterday and said they could run out of cash by she's, June. By the way, she's just got to stop i'm sorry to interrupt she's just got to stop like i'm not really sure what her game is i mean i dig the outfits and stuff fantastic but 
she really needs just to stop talking. I'm not a, clearly not a fan, but I'm sorry. I just had to get that off my proverbial chest. Please continue. Yes, yes, you did. All right, so that's how we're playing yields. That's how we're thinking about the treasury market. We will definitely have a lot to say tomorrow in front of the Fed because we're going to be back here at one. Guy, I just want to hit one last single Please. stock name. This would be Starbucks. And when I think about Starbucks here, what's interesting to me here is that about 9 10% of their sales come from China. We know that was kind of a big growth focus for them. Um, they have about 600 stores there. They're always expected to like, you know, put in another 100 or so each year. So look at the way this stock has traded here. And it's gone from, you know, kind of the high 90s to 115 or so yesterday. It was a new 52-week high here. That looks like it's incorporating a lot of good news. They report tomorrow or today after the close, excuse me, the implied move in the options market is about 5%. And on a day like today, stock's really hanging in there, which I, I think is kind of interesting. I mean, I wouldn't buy this stock right here with your money, guy. I think you're exactly right. I mean, the, the correct thing, to, again, <clears throat> this is going to haunt me tomorrow without question. But, you know, if you've enjoyed this move over the last literally month and a half, and it's been a pretty significant move to the upside, you're hard-pressed not to take some money off the table here. At least cover yourself somehow, whether it's selling some calls against it. You know, hopefully, you know, maybe you do get called away. It's not the worst thing in the world. At least you can recoup uh, or at least get in some income on the back of that. But, you know, selling a quarter, third, half of a position in earnings today, I think is a prudent thing to do because then you're trading the stock. The stock is not trading you. And what do I mean by that? Well, if it collapses post-earnings and if you've done nothing, you are going to be paralyzed. But if you've done something ahead of that, maybe you buy back what you sold. Or if it continues to go higher, you know what? You only sold a quarter. You only sold a third. You're still in the position. So it gives you what we call flexibility, Dan. It gives you some optionality. Optionality. Yeah. That's a good haiku word. I'm going to use it later. Yeah. No. And, you know, the other thing is I always look at the options market and the short dated ones are really hard to play. They're very binary. If you look at this Friday's close, you know, let's just say that the stock here at 113.65 or so, that 113 put is offered at 240. So if you were to buy that, okay, you need to move down to 110.60 just to break even between now and Friday's close. And so you're going to need a big move. You're going to need that 5% um, to the downside, you know, just to be in the money a little bit. Those are, those are kind of hard trades here, but I often take a look at it just to see What's kind of price? Five percent in either direction seems um, it seems reasonable given how much the stock has traded here. So again, guy, this was a fun episode that we did today. I, I enjoy it. Tomorrow, and the peeps enjoy it. Fireworks, fireworks. That's a song by um, Katy Perry, right? Katy Perry. I thought you were going to say Miley Cyrus. Is it Miley Cyrus? Yeah, no, that's the Wrecking Ball one that you the Wrecking Ball, right? By T. Like, those are great artists. I, I got tickets to see. Um, Taylor Swift. She's Did you really? No. I, I'd I'm rather going. stick pins I'm in going, my nuts. I'm going in L.A. August 5th. Yeah, this summer, enjoy, enjoy that. Yeah, no. That's, that's, that's a hard pass. As a matter of fact, before yeah. we get out of here, I'd actually go see the Mets play before I went to a Taylor Swift concert. And again, not to cast aspersions. I'm sure she's What, what are you casting? What, because you literally self- you gave yourself a nickname on Fast Money. I want to say about G Swizz. G Swizz. It was basically... You were ripping off T-Swizz. Yeah, 100%. Taylor used to be T-Swizzle. Now she's just, you know what? It's so funny because, you know, I, I went and saw the boss, Bruce Springsteen, a couple times last month. And, you know, I mentioned that to my daughter, Ellie, who's 17. She's a junior in high school. You know, Ellie. And uh, 
I can't remember how I said it. a couple of times. I've like referred to the boss and she goes, what you mean? Taylor Swift. Yeah. Or, that's, just, that's, like, that's savage. Yeah, she just, I mean, that's just, she savaged you. AD, is a, AD, Amanda's a huge T-Swizzle You know who else is? Rafus loves Taylor. No, don't tell me yeah, that, please. He, does. he really does, which is kind of funny, which is one of the reasons why I think that we need him to kind of toughen up for his. Well, no, that's why he's not. A, that's why Rafus isn't a crease defenseman. If he was a crease defenseman, he'd like, you know, yeah. I don't know, Led Zeppelin. But Can you imagine, though, when he walked into the, the, the PLL Cannons locker room and got Paul Rabel, the founder, one of the goats of, of the game here, and he turns on his iPhone and he's putting, like, Wrecking Ball by T-Swizzle on in the oh. locker room? That's probably when he got demoted right there. But No, but he also got the game ball, you know, a couple seasons ago in his rookie campaign yeah. for really orchestrating that offense. And I remember, you know, I remember watching the whole thing. I'm like, man, that's my boy. No, nah, he's a great player. We give him a hard time because we do think he needs to put a few pounds on, toughen up a little bit. Hopefully he'll hit the gym before that season kicks off the first week of June. But Turn around and see. He's got that big shit-eating grin on his face. No, because nah, I know Rafus right he's now. He's actually, he's probably blushing a little bit. Yeah, well, I don't know why right. Hey, Jacob, you're not out of the woods yet, buddy. We're going to get to you tomorrow. Um, all right. That's, that's it. it. I think that's it. I think we did it. A lot. Listen, we, uh, tomorrow's going to be a fascinating day. Obviously, the market, somebody pointed out that since we started talking, the market's actually rallied like 15 S&P handles. I, I'm not attributing that to anything other than have the fact it. that somebody mentioned it. As Dan would say, have at it. You notice I have my blue shirt on, which means I am putting on a tie and heading into New York City to do Fast Money at 5 p.m. Dan will be on that great show yeah. as well. Uh, we will see you tomorrow. I want to thank our sponsors, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Facts at Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow, provided our data. Uh, Ranger fans, I'm sorry. I really I felt good about last night. It did not come to fruition. It's going to be a long off season, But, hey, that's what we're here for. We will see you tomorrow. I think Carter Worth is back. Yes, Hopefully. he is. Yes, he CBW's is. CBW is back. And, you know, we'll talk to you later. Manana, peeps. See you later, Ryan.